Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team this is A's cast live your comprehensive look at the oakland athletics and 29 other mlb clubs 2-2 pitch on trout and he blasts one way back cody bellinger hits one out so he's your home run derby champion Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Piscotti. He swings and he slams one to left high in the air. Deep goes Peralta at the wall, takes a look, and it is gone. Steven Piscotti is first of the year. 1-1, hit high in the air, deep left field. Back on his Peralta, at the track, at the wall, it's gone! Jet Lowry, opposite field, game-tying home run! The Jedi Warrior delivers for the A's and ties the game at five. Here's the 2-2 pitch, and Seth Brown drills it to right, way back, and no doubt, and the A's have taken the lead. A tremendous shot, Seth Brown with his second Major League home run. And the A's have come all the way back and then some as they take a 6-5 lead. Here's the 1-1 pitch now to Calhoun, a swing on the ground ball to the right side. Brown's got it, goes to second, Chapman back to first, pitcher covering, double play and the ball game is over. And what a way to end it. The A's get a 3-5-1 double play to finish off the game. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, yeah. That happened. I mean, what a win today. I know I just talked about it for an hour on the on the A's Clubhouse show, but, I mean, it, it was like a tale of, of two halves, right? It was like there was a halftime, and all of a sudden the A's regrouped at half and came out of the clubhouse ready to go because the first half was a stinker. I mean, that was bad. And I, you know, the whole time I'm thinking, oh, man, what the hell are we going to talk about? And that's what this team is. They're resilient. That's what this bunch is. And they've been resilient 2018, 2019, 2020, and they're showing us again. And I'm not going to be shocked if we're talking about Monday. Is Monday the Twins, Cody? Correct, and uh, Josh Donaldson's supposed to be back tomorrow, so the bringer of rain can be back in Oakland on Monday. 
vo- do, does my, is my volume low? No, you sound fine on my end. Yeah, you look good. Volume's good on this end. All right. It just seems low. Um, I mean, could be could be could be over five hundred after that start to be five hundred that fast. It's been a lot of fun to watch. I mean, and this was a grind. I mean, this is three hours and forty minutes. By the way, every single A's game has been over three hours, but one. You, do you think we're ever going to get a trend of uh, under two hours? Under two you, baseball games. Under two, you're being very, very optimistic for a game under two out. Mark Burley's not pitching for the A's or any team in Major League Baseball right now. You worried about Jesus Lazardo? Uh, I heard you mention something on on, a, on the A's clubhouse show that was interesting that I didn't think about with him, but uh, maybe his best role right now is a reliever. Uh, I, I mean, I went back and looked at the stats that you mentioned too, but another thing with him, I don't know, maybe this is just me th- overthinking this. Whatever happened to the old rec specs? Why do you switch the contacts? He, maybe maybe go back to the glasses. Maybe that'll help him. I, I, I don't know what's going on. I mean, I know it's early, but he's – I mean, if you go back and look at his stats from – Last year in September till now, I mean, his ERA, I know it's 831 right now. But if you go back to those starts in September till now, it's like almost five. It's 4.88. That's not good. I didn't even include the postseason. His spin rate's down. If you look at all the advanced stuff with him on Baseball Savant, I mean, to some of his stuff, he just doesn't look like the same guy. And he's only 23 years old. But the uh, talk of the ace, him being the ace, I think we need to bury that for now because I think we seem to get him be able to be realistic and hope you can get five innings out of the guy right now. It's kind of a little bit. It's kind of a little bit like Sonny Gray. But Sonny did have the one really good year where he won 14 games. He had great numbers. He finished third in the Cy Young balloting. But then all of a sudden he just couldn't get outs. I think a lot of people forget that, how – Sonny all of a sudden was not the guy we thought he was going to be. And I remember there was all these people calling up saying, oh, you got to sign him long term. This is the kind of guy you sign. And it was like, no, 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 no. And I mentioned it in the in the A's Clubhouse show. I'm like, Sonny, Sonny was bad. Let, just let me give you an idea of how far Sonny fell off. So he has the one year where he's 14 and 7 with a 2.73 ERA. He finishes third in the Cy Young balloting, and he's 25 years old. But after that, the next year he's got a 5.69 ERA, then 3.55, then 3.34, then he gets traded to the Yankees, and it's 3.72, then he's 4.90. I mean, he he got it back a little bit in 2019, where he was 11 and eight with a 2.87, and then in the shortened season last year, jumped back up to 3.70. But man, Jesus is what is it? What 8.31 right now? Yeah, that's what 12, it is. Twelve. He's given up 12 earned runs and 13 innings, and no one's alarmed. I don't know, man. His next start, I mean, Glenn Kuyper said it on the broadcast tonight, or I should say today. Says this this is this team's not in rebuild mode. You, you he's got to give you good outings, or what do you you can't have him out there. 
I mean, if we're now going to start getting into more, you know, you're going to start getting in your third, fourth, fifth start. You can't be what the A's are so lucky to have the day off tomorrow. Can you imagine if they were in a run of like eight straight games and you have a game like this where you got to have one, two, three, four, five. You had to have six relievers come in today because you can only go two and two thirds. I mean, you start doing that in the dog days of summer, you'll burn your bullpen out for a week. There, it was it was encouraging to see how Algara and Jordan Weems looked. See Trevino close out the game. The bullpen saved them. The bullpen was the real, I mean, besides Jed Lowry and Seth Brown hitting home runs. And uh, Ramon Laureano, now only 123 steals away from breaking Ricky Henderson's, uh, I guess, modern-day single-season record of 130. So, uh Hats off to you, Ramon. 123 more to go. I mean, you lead Major League Baseball. I think he's had the most stolen bases in a, the team's, like, first uh, 11 games or so since Billy Hamilton did it, like, if I, like in 2015. So that's pretty elite company when Billy – because you're talking about Billy Hamilton, one of the best base sellers we've seen maybe since Ricky because he was really fast and he's able to steal bases. But the bullpen going that many out – you know, the innings they had a pitch today, you're right. If they didn't have an off day tomorrow – it's a lot of trouble you might be getting into, especially. Oh, yeah, that would not that would not be good. That would not be good at all. And man, I want I want the kid to be a star. I want him to be I want him to be what everybody thinks he's going to be. You know, everybody thinks he is the he's the next, you know, great pitcher in baseball. And I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a kid that doesn't know how to pitch yet. And he's relied on his stuff. But here's the thing, Cody, and this is the problem. And I don't know if the A's front office would agree with me, but you don't learn how to pitch when you get babied. Essentially, what you're teaching these guys in the minor leagues is to go out there and just throw everything as hard as you can, do it for X amount of pitches, and then you're going to get taken out. You know, that Dodger game was, what, the first time he's ever gone over 100 pitches? Yeah. So he has, he, he now is experiencing the trials and tribulations of what it is to be a pitcher. If you don't have good location, I went and looked it up. You look at some of the balls hit. If you look at the home run that was hit by Kelly, uh, as Drupal Cabrera hit, hit, just smoked that double. Go look at the location. You go to MLB.com. You can see where all the pitches are. They're right down the middle. You can't live down the middle at this level. You just can't. And I don't care what lineup you're going up against. All these guys can hit 95 straight down the middle. And if you're flipping breaking balls up there that are right down the middle, I mean, that one he threw to Kelly was screaming, hit me. So, I mean, I don't know if Scott Emerson would tell us the game plan or what he's saying to him, but I'd be real interested to know. You know what I also am real interested in? And that – and. I guess we could probably look it up now. I'm sure Tori Lovello, friend of the program, former A, manager of the D-backs. Why were they not able to challenge 
Ramon Laureano getting picked off in the top of the ninth inning. He was picked off. But for some reason, he wasn't able, the D-backs didn't challenge it. And it was weird because watching it on television, they didn't know what was going on because they were in a Jed Lowry, they were showing a Jed Lowry highlight. And then all of a sudden, they come back to the, they come out of the highlight and Jed's just standing there. And, you know, Glenn and Ray are like, what's going on? Why, why, why are they? And then they saw the replay. Our boss, Delaire, put the replay on there. And then you saw, oh, he was picked off. Why can't they challenge it? I don't know why. I thought I heard Ray say something along the lines of Lavella didn't tell them quick enough because you get you have to tell them in like 20 seconds. And I don't think he decided they decided fast enough. But you're right. He was picked off. Uh, there was no replay controversy there if they would have went back and looked at it. Uh, well, I mean, I, I wish I could say that I have confidence that they would get the call, call right and call him out. But, you know, that fellow umpire brother and don't want to call other brother and out for getting something wrong. So who knows? But, yeah, that he was clearly out. And I it, it, I remember hearing Ray say something. He thinks it was the 20 – they didn't get it in time in 20 seconds. I think that happened to Tony La Russa earlier this year already too where he didn't make a decision – quick enough with the replay. So uh, we got a lot of questions about instant replay and how everything's going on in the last few days. But that you were you're right. He was clearly out at first base. Ramon Laureano. And Ken Korak and I talked about it. That changes the dynamic of the game because two batters later, Matt Chapman's hitting it off the center field wall, and that brings Ramon around a triple for Chapman. And now Lou, who hasn't saved a game since 2018, has a little room to work with versus just one run where he walks the first batter. And, you know, that guy, LaCastro, is going to be stealing second. I mean, who knows how that inning works out. So they got the wiggle room that they needed I don't know about that call, though. I mean, hopefully we can find out. I'm sure Tory's going to be asked about it. But that was a weird part of the game that we kind of – no one knew what was going on. And, you know, it's so tough for our broadcasters because you got our radio guys are in Oakland and our TV guys are in San Francisco. And when you're not at the game, that's the problem with them not being at the game. They're not seeing everything. They're, not, they're only seeing what's being provided. And that's tough for a play-by-play guy. And I can't wait to get into scoring with David Feldman coming up here at six o'clock. Cody, I got questions. I mean, like I think I, I think things need to evolve. Like if it's it's always bugged me with Marcus, now it's bugging me with Elvis. If he's sitting out in right field, he's no longer a shortstop. He's not playing shortstop. He's playing right field. If your spikes aren't in the dirt and you're out in the grass in front of Piscotti, you're not a shortstop anymore. And baseball's got a fa- – I mean, these 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 double plays are ridiculous, right? One, five, three, three, five uh, – wait a minute. What, what was the one to end the game today? That was a three, five, one. Yeah, that one was not. odd. Matt Chapman's <laughs> playing shortstop. But how about the one, five, three? I've never seen that before. We got to we we got to change that up. And I want to know what's the official scoring when the guy makes the last out of the ninth inning, 
and then he goes out to second base. How how does how is baseball tell? I know how I'm doing it, but I wonder what the official the official official for the game how they're scoring it in extra innings because it's bizarre because you you know the guy makes the out normally you you make a you make a line to show the the end of the inning. Well, then now you've got to go where his box is on the score card. And next to where he just got out, you got to put him on base. You got to still track him. So I'm really curious to see how Dave Feldman and Major League Baseball is handling that. And how about the great Ray Fossey? Since we're going to be off, we're going to have Foss on at 630. You know, Ray is having a good time with this. I mean, they're back from they're back from digging that hole. When you win four in a row and five of six, as you have that uh, sign behind you, good vibes. Only, yeah. <laughs> There's good vibes going on with this ball club. And another day off, which is great. Everybody kind of gets to reset. And then just kick the crap out of the Tigers for four days. How about that? You see, and all of a sudden, nine and seven. Speaking of the Tigers, you see A.J. Hinch got a standing ovation in, in uh, Houston last night. No, did he really? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I get where people are probably mad and triggered about that, but, I mean, he did do a nice job with that team before the cheating scandal. He was a well-liked manager by his players. So I understand it, but I also can see well, where they people – they don't care. Yeah, no, that's what I mean. It's like Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds is only getting a standing ovation in one town and one town only. San Francisco. Everywhere else he's getting booed. Those fans don't care. You tell a Houston Astros fan. I know two people from Houston. They live here in San Jose. They love that World Series. Look at all the people that go to their games. They don't care. They won the World Series. So what, we were cheating. You think the Patriot fans care that they were cheating? They all still showed up at the parade. Or I should say a lot of parades. But fans don't get your own fan base, you don't care. Do you think A's fans from 1989 care about how many guys on the A's teams were on steroids? No, not at all. <laughs> no, I, I don't think they care at all. Do you? How many people will tell you Jose Canseco is their favorite player? A lot of people would. Do you think people care? Do you think A's fans? I'm telling you right now. When they, when they did that documentary on Jose, and then where was I? I think I was in Concord. We did the, uh, the screening of it, and the director and all the people who worked on it were there, and, and I hosted it with Jose. The love for Jose Canseco that our fan base has. All those McGuire home runs, you care that he was on steroids? I did it in 1998 when him and Sammy when, were. When, when, <laughs> when, when it's your guy doing it, you don't care. Like, do you think New England Patriot fans care that Tom Brady was deflating balls so he could get a better grip? Nope. Because it's your guy. So, no, it doesn't shock me at all that A.J. Hintz got a standing ovation. I'm trying to find the AJ, a quote from A.J. or A.J. Hintz. Tori Lovello, our good friend on Twitter. From any of the Diamondbacks people, and, and I all, nothing. I, I type in his name, anything. Uh, the two things I've seen is everyone talking about Zach Allen, who looked great in his return from the IL. Mind you, an IL stint where he was, wait for it, on there for fracturing something in his arm, swinging a baseball bat as a pitcher. 
and oh, some oh. other some other guys up home they're saying should the Diamondbacks fire Tory Lavelle? The answer to that question is no. We're Tory fans, so no. Um, and it's how many games is this season are they at? Eleven? And you're talking about firing the man at twelve? And you're talking about firing the manager already? Have, have you seen this lineup? Their lineup stinks. Yeah, Cattell Marte's on the injured list. Their best player. It's not his fault you signed Madison Gump. Madison Bumgarner to five years, eighty-five million, and he stinks. That's not Tory's fault. I mean, Tory Tory is Tory has had some competitive teams because he's a good manager. David Feldman, how are you? I am wonderful, Tony. How are you? We should call you Professor now that you're like teaching people how to keep score. You know, it's true. It's true. I do feel very professorial. I'm thinking of wearing glasses again. <laughs> I, you know what I, i'm thinking about i'm thinking about signing up because i've got some questions for you about scorekeeping good because that's you know this class is coming up next week it's our first one of the season scorekeeping the questions are to me the the lifeblood of these things because i want to know what you guys want to know right that's that's i want to help you to be a better scorekeeper learn how to keep score but really it's, it's feeding off your questions that allows me to to help teach as they say well i in my opinion i I think we need to do an overhaul on how we keep score from a standpoint of we don't have traditional positions anymore because the a's are shifting almost 70 percent of the time that means your third baseman is really playing shortstop uh your shortstop is out in right field He's no longer an infielder. He's standing on the grass, and it's making for, you know, like how did the game end today? It was a 3-5-1 double play. And two games ago, how about the two games ago, uh, we had a 1-5-3 double play, and we had a 5-6-3 double play. It's just these guys are playing different positions than their traditional position. Shouldn't we change since they're not doing what they used to, shouldn't we change the scoring with it and evolve with it? Well, what's interesting about why we use the numbers, right? One for pitcher, two for catcher, three for first base, and so on. It was originally a way just to identify that player, okay? Because if you look at an official major league lineup card, when they turn it into the umpires, they do not have to list positions for any player in the lineup. All they need to, the only position that has to be listed is the designated hitter. Other than that, they don't put down Jed Lowry second base. They don't have to. They do it as a courtesy. And in the scoring world, why we use these numbers is just to help identify the player, right? In our little scorebook, we can't write Chapman to Olsen. There's not enough room, but we can write five to three identifying Chapman to Olsen. So why I get what you're saying, but if you think about the numbers just identifying that player, then there's no reason to change because we now know like that double play that ended the game, although it was three, five, one, we know it was Brown to Chapman to Trevino. But you got to give me this. If your shortstop's out in right field and you're scoring at six, three, I understand you're identifying the play, but, 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 but you're making it sound like he was at shortstop when he's out really out in right field. No. And that's where you need to note that in, in your scorebook. And it's one of the things we talk about, a way to make your scorebook personal, is you need to note things like that when they're in a shift. Um, you know, let's say it's a 6-3 where Andrews is in short right field. I'm going to put a little S on that play to, to signify that it was a shift was in play. 
Um, you know, you have to have signifiers and that's the personalized way to score. Make it your own and how you can signify something so you know what happened. Okay, so how would I score? So let's say we have Jed Lowry at second. We have Elvis at short. They shift. They both. So Elvis comes over. He's standing in the outfield grass. Jed's standing in the outfield grass. So, and let's say, okay, if the ball is hit to Elvis, it's going to be 6-3. You're going to write S, but how do I know exactly where he was when he fielded that? How do I, how well, do I score that? Yeah, so you could actually, instead of using an S there, you can do SRF, short right field, right, or shift it right field. Or we talked about this last year. The A's do this a lot. It's called the wishbone right, where they put the shortstop in the short right field, and it looks like a wishbone. So you could put 6-3 WB. They were in a wishbone. And the same thing with, with if the ball was hit up the middle, and it's Lowry who covered it up the middle and made the throw. You could still do 4-3 wishbone or WB, and they'll let you know that at that time, Lowry was shifted behind the back. Wow, if you're going wishbone, I, I, all of a sudden I'm thinking of Barry Switzer, yeah. Oklahoma Sooners, and Marcus Dupree if I'm going wishbone. I know. Every time I bring that up, you go right to Oklahoma. Hilarious. <laughs> okay, here he, here is one that, okay, this is what I do for the extra innings. You know, we all make like a little baseball field, right? That's what we do for scoring, and we follow the guy around. Um, so let's say Mark Canna makes the last out in the ninth inning. I, I, I put the line there to show that he's the third out. But now Mark Canna, the next inning, he's starting out in second base. How do you score? How, how do you score him? How do you track him? I just move him, you know, in the in the line for the tenth inning in that bar, in his box in the tenth inning. I just put place him at second base. I, I think you just keep it really simple. There's no reason to get too out of control with it. Um, you just put him at second to start the inning. Um, and I got to tell you something. You know, last year when they had this rule. Uh, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was, it put the game in jeopardy right away. I felt that it was exciting. And now this year, we're, we're trying to play 162 and play a normal, as normal as can be in these times, baseball season. I don't like it anymore. I, I, I don't, it doesn't feel like it's needed. If we're trying to play a full season, why are we doing this rule to put a runner on? I, and, and again, I really did enjoy it last year. I just, I don't feel the same way this year. I got it. selfishly as a post game show host. I love. It. I mean, <laughs> I, the game fan. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm working all day, going 16 innings, and then having to, <laughs> you know, do an hour after. Like, like, look at look at today. Can you just imagine if they would have tied it up, and the A's have already used six relievers? Can you imagine if they would have gone 13, 14, 15 innings? Yeah, it, it definitely. It changes the game, but that's part of it. That's how we played this game for so long, was you had to deal with it. And what's interesting, and it used to always frustrate me so much, is when you would watch a, a manager only use his reliever for one inning at a time, and then he would run out of pitchers because he wasn't letting these guys go extra innings. And look at what Kira did today with the three innings of relief. We need to see more of that. We need to see relievers get stretched out and be able to give you more than one inning because then you won't have that issue where you're running out of pitchers. So today, 
Do you know why? We, we haven't been able to figure it out. I know you're watching the game. In the ninth inning, Ramon Laureano got picked off, but yeah. he was called safe. They didn't challenge it. And, you know, and, and I feel for Glenn and Ray because all of a sudden, they're, they, you know, Jed Lowry's coming up. They're showing the highlight of Jed Lowry hitting the, the big three-run home run. And all of a sudden, they go back. To, and and you, you know the TV world as much as anybody. Uh, and then they go back, and then they show Jed. Jed stepped out of the box. Something's going on. We had no idea what was going on. Tori Lovello came out. He wasn't allowed to challenge it. Do you know why he wasn't allowed to challenge it? Yeah, I do. I was actually in the studio today working on the broadcast. But the manager has 20 seconds to let the umpire know that he wants to challenge it. Uh, Tori Lovello came out much later than 20 seconds. And that's what Larry Vanover, the – the crew chief came out and said, yeah, it's great. You want to challenge it, but you're too late. We can't do it. Um, it's simple as that. And here's the thing. They, they put it at 20 seconds to help speed things along, right? You know, pace of play is a big issue this year. Games are taking longer than ever. Uh, but how did this help when they didn't give him the challenge, but they still had the discussion that took an extra minute to try to explain to him that he couldn't challenge. It didn't speed anything up. And they didn't get a challenge at call. And, and you know, by replay, Loriano would have been called out. <laughs> yeah that, that is good you know that is great you know hey you didn't do it within 20 seconds but now we're going to talk about it for two minutes <laughs> and that was a huge run right that insurance run oh, to have yeah. Lou Trevino go out with a two-run lead get away with a walk to the speediest guy on the Diamondbacks and make sure that his run doesn't matter that changed the whole game that extra run changed everything so when, when, when you're keeping score do you use different do you, are you all pencil? Do you have different colors, pens? Because I'll tell you what I do. I write everything in pencil, except if you get on base. However, you get on base, whether it's a base hit, whether it's a walk, a hit batter, home run, I do everything in red. So I know those are the main plays. So all outs are in pencil. All guys getting on base. Are in red ink. So I use two. I know some people use like three or four. What do you do? Yeah, I'm a pen guy and I keep, uh, I start with blue. Everybody who starts the game gets blue. And then when the subs come in, the first sub gets red. And then if a sub comes in for him, he gets black. So I've just used the, the colors to signify substitutions and who's in the game. I like your system. I've seen guys who, when, uh, when a batter's up with runners in scoring position, they will use a different color to signify that, that that was the scoring position at that. Um, it, again, that's the whole personal thing that I think is so cool that you could go check out other people's scorecards and, and see how they do things and get some ideas from it and see what's important to you. Um, you know, some people will, will highlight strikeouts, right? It makes it easier for them to go back and count a pitcher's strikeout if it's highlighted in a certain way. Um, something, some of these books, some of these scorecards, they really are works of art. You know, with people who have really nice handwriting and are able to fancy it up. Uh, I have terrible handwriting, and it's just a mess. But, you know, it works for me. Um, don't ever look at Ken Korax, because I have yeah. no idea how he can read it. He literally yeah. keeps the it's, – it's like, was it Dallas Braden's perfect game or somebody wanted his scorebook, and he was embarrassed – to send the scorebook, I don't know if it was to the Hall of Fame or whatever, because no one would be able to read it. Only Ken can read his scorebook. Yeah, because Ken just scribbles notes up and down the margins and around, and <laughs> it's, it's really hard to make out. I mean, again, it makes sense to him. And then the game itself gets a little sloppy in there. It's just, it's just so funny. 
you know, you talk about Dallas Braden's perfect game. If you're at the Coliseum and you know, with fans being back, which is awesome, if you end up going down one of the walkways, Mike Selleck, the A's longtime PR guy, unbelievable. His scar- scorecard from Dallas Braden's perfect game is on the wall uh, where they're celebrating Dallas Braden. And it's amazing how neat it is and how detailed it is as far as, you know, the, the time of the game and the weather and who's playing. It's just so neat and precise, and it's really cool to look at. Well, you mentioned highlighting strikeouts. Um, if I did that, I would run out of my highlighter ink because of 14 strikeouts today by your Oakland Athletics. Yeah, you know, Zach Allen is really good, uh, and he really mixes his pitches, and he's he's hard to pick up. And you saw it in the first inning, right? He was struggling with his breaking balls. He said, you know what, I'm just going fastball. Strikeout Chapman, strikeout Brown. And then he started mixing his pitches again. He's tough to hit. But I don't know about you, but as soon as they went to the bullpen today, and I know it was, it was 5-0, uh, I just sort of had that feeling that the A's are going to hit this bullpen. They're going to get a chance to come back in this game. And if the A's bullpen can do their job and keep it close, I think the A's have a chance. I just had a really good feeling about the A's offense against the Diamondbacks bullpen. Yeah, Guerra was a godsend today. I mean, he kind of – if there was a fire, he put that fire out and really gave them – an opportunity to get back in this game. Now you've scored some really big games, right? Didn't you do Matt Cain's perfect game? I did. I did. I've done three no hitters over here in San Francisco where, where I'm scoring the game tonight. I did Jonathan Sanchez, Tim Lincecum, which was the boringest no hitter in the history of no hitters. Uh, and there was just no tough. Play. It was so dominating. It wasn't even fun. Um, and then Matt Cain's perfect game, which was, was cool to see and be, and be a part of, um, so those were three of the, the big pitching performances. I also I've done a World Series game. I uh, did game two of the 2012 World Series. I've done countless playoff games with the A's, which is always fun. It's just it's really special to be able to do postseason baseball. So what is the pressure like when you're like, well, this guy's got a perfect game, or this guy's got a no hitter, or I, I you know you're dealing with someone's legacy. And there's going to be some tough calls. What's that pressure like? Yeah, you do feel it because you, you want any hit to be a clean hit. You want every play to be made. And you don't want to become the story. That is the worst thing possible, right? If a guy is pitching the game of his life and you make a call and that call becomes the story and you become the story for making that call, that's the thing that you, you don't want to happen. Um, and you do feel a little bit of it, you know, as games go along. You really want that first hit to be clean and unquestionable. Um, but you kind of want that with every play, to be honest with you. I, I, it's, it makes the official scorer's job so much easier when the defense makes every play they're supposed to play, supposed to make. Right? Take the decisions out of my hand. Uh, that's the best. Because there is, you know, there can be some, some nervous time for sure. You know, I was actually just at the DMV, and it makes me think about, like, what you guys do for a living. You know, I've got, I've got to pass a driver's test to get a driver's license to be able to drive. What do, do you have to get some, some type of certification? Because there's a lot of you guys out there. What do you have to do to be able to uh, score an official game? It's really changed over the last, I would say, 10 years, to be honest with you. Um, before, back in the in the early days of the 50s, 40s, 50s, it used to be a writer would be the official scorer as well as writing the game. And that became sort of problematic. They moved away from that and they started using former writers who weren't 
working, right, who can concentrate on scoring the game. And they figure they've seen enough baseball. They know what's what's what. They can score the game. But now as we've moved into more modern times and scoring has become a bigger issue with Major League Baseball, scores are vetted much more thoroughly now. And there is a sort of a test to take, but it's really more word of mouth being accepted by the team and by other scorers in that market that, hey, this guy can do this job. Um, and I say guy because right now, sadly, that's all we have is, is male scores and mostly old male white scores. And it's, it's an issue. And uh, we're hoping to bring more women and more minorities into the fold to be scorekeepers. Now, it doesn't pay great, but you get a great seat at the ballpark and you get to be part of the game and you get your name in the box score. And we just need people who are qualified, who aren't interested, and, and want to do it because uh, it should be anybody who wants to do it can get a chance. You know, let, 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 let's end on this. Ray Fossey was talking about you today. I think it was today. I mean, the game was three hours and 40 minutes. So there was a lot of things. <laughs> had to talk about something. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. Every game's been over three hours except one. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Um, it's ridiculous. So back in the day before COVID, you could go down in the clubhouse, talk to players if there needed to be something changed. Well, now you can't go down. So just, I know you got to go because you're working the Giants game tonight. Just talk about how, if there's a controversial play, whether you're going to change it or not, how is that handled now that you can't go down into the clubhouse because of COVID? It's a lot different now than it was when I started back in 2004. Because then you would go to the clubhouse if there was a question or the manager would request you to come down or the player who you called an error on would ask you to come down and you'd be in the clubhouse dealing with this. Uh, after 2012, that kind of went away. And now teams who have a disagreement can file a formal appeal to the league. Um, but you still, most people, most teams and players, they want to skip that step and they want to go straight to the score. So we still get asked to take a second look at something. Um, usually the team PR person will come in and say, hey, can you take a look at that? Um, but I got to tell you, you know, back before, you can get some really uncomfortable situations. Like scorers all have stories about trying to be intimidated in the clubhouse or guys being mean. I had Ozzie Gian when he was the manager of the White Sox, call the press box in the middle of the game. Is the White Sox are they're already on a five-game losing streak. They're losing to the A's. I call an error on their first baseman late error and he's calling in the middle of the game to complain about it and i'm like ozzy i think you have bigger things to worry about well i i've i've walked by i've walked by you countless times keeping score you don't have a phone next to you uh they call they call our friend mike selick would have to answer the phone because you know the the press box number is on the dugout wall they'd pick it up and call really yeah it was you know Everybody has stories. I, just quickly, this is, I, I think this was hilarious, personally. Uh, there was a game with the Giants, and Edgar Renteria was the Giants shortstop. He kicked the ball, and then he threw it away at first base, allowing the runner to go to second. So I called two errors, one for the kick and one for the throw, right? Well, the Giants are upset about it. They don't think it should be two errors. And Ron Wotus wants to see me in the clubhouse after the game. Okay, so I go down there. And Rob Lord says, I've never seen this call before. I don't understand it. But, well, this is what it is. He kicked it. I let him get the first. He overthrew it. Let him get the second. I've, I've never seen it. I don't believe it. So now flash forward a few years, same play. Brandon Crawford kicks the ball, 
overthrows, I call the exact same thing. Error to reach first, overthrow error to reach second. So they, the Giants actually challenge the call. It gets upheld. Ron Wotus can't understand it, so he asked to meet me in the dugout pregame to explain it to him. So I go down, meet him, and he goes, I've never seen that call before. And I go, Ron, we had the exact same call five years ago with Edgar Renneria. What are you talking about? <laughs> Can you imagine during a game, Steve Steve Kerr going over to a phone and complaining about a foul call? Oh, my God. Did you see that? It's just it's baseball. It's so different. And the thing also about official scoring and people getting mad, they get mad in the moment for the most part, and the next day it's forgotten, right? I mean, it's, just, it's so funny with baseball. We, we do this every day. And it's just it's, it's such a big deal the night a controversial call happens. After that, not at all. I'll tell you, being on the sidelines with the Raiders, John Gruden going after the refs every game is one of the funniest things you've ever heard. I mean, oh, he's got one liner after one liner for these guys, and it's absolutely hilarious. All right, buddy. Hey, thank you so much. I can't wait. Uh, to, we'll we'll promote it here, and these classes are great. And I think it's I think it's so cool to get our our audience and our fan base into keeping score because you you really are able to follow the game. You're able to follow Melvin's decisions, the yeah. other managers' decisions. It just makes you a better baseball fan. It, it really does. And uh, next Tuesday night uh, before the A's Twins series, and it's a it's a great cause. They all go to the A's Community Fund. Uh, and again, bring your questions. Uh, we're going to talk. This one's going to be a little more basic. I will show some plays that have already happened this year that are interesting, but it's really more about getting the, the nuts and bolts of keeping score at a game. And, and, and you're right. Once you keep score at a game and you're into it, you learn so much more about how the game's played and you'll enjoy it that much more. Yeah, and it all benefits the AIDS community fund. All right, enjoy the Giants game tonight. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks, Tony. I, you know, when I got into this business, it was so funny. I'm like, I don't know how to keep score. They're like, you played baseball your entire life. I'm like, yeah. When the hell would I keep score? I never kept score ever. There was someone at our games, whether it was high school or college, who kept score of the game. I never did it. In high school, it was like one of the parents. And then college, we had somebody, I don't even know who did it. But someone did it. I had never kept score, so when I first started doing play-by-play for the San Jose Giants, I, I was a zoo. Like, I had no idea how to do it. I had to learn on the fly. And I'm still not great at it. I just do it so if someone, like, technically, I don't need to do it, but I like having my Bible, as I like to call it, and I have all my stats and all the different things that I, I like to write down. But really the reason why I keep score now is because I know there's a lot, I know plenty of guys who do what I do and they don't keep score. And most, most talk show hosts don't keep score. I think literally I was the only talk show host at 95.7 The Game who kept score. So, and the reason why I do it, even when that brief time I got taken off A's and I was doing the show with Rick Buecher, Afternoon Drive, or then I was doing the mornings. I kept score because if people call up and they go, hey, in the third inning when so-and-so, if you don't keep score, you're not going to remember everything. So by keeping score and the way I learned, too, by writing stuff down, my retention is better. 
Cody, that's why I do it. Especially if there's going to be a caller who goes, do you remember when this happened? Well, I can say, yeah, because it's in front of me. Like right now, the whole thing's in front of me. I can go over every inning of this game today and tell you exactly what happened, who did what, when. Now, there's some people like the great Raymond Fossey. Remember, only his mother calls him Raymond. Um, he keeps he, – his, his book's amazing. He keeps blocks. He's the only human being that keeps <laughs> blocks. He does strikes, balls. I know Vince does strikes and balls. I can't do that. That's that's too in-depth for me. I, uh, I never, I'm, I'm like you. I never really kept score either. And then when I coached baseball when I was in college – uh, since I was one of the assistant coaches, uh, they asked me to keep this, keep score, and I was like, "Yeah, I don't." Uh, okay, sure. And like, I, I mean, I knew baseball, and I was I'm looking at it, and like, I had the, these nine and ten year old kids show me how to keep score because they knew how to do it. I'm like, you know, thank you guys, teach me how to keep score. Now, if you ask me to keep score now, I could do the fundamentals, but I would probably want to sign up for one of Feldy's classes to get better at it. But um, now something happened during the interview with Feldy. And I don't want to make you panic or anything, but Detroit's rolling into town, uh, and I thing. mean, it, and it happened the again. It's the thing. It's the dead fish changeup. Instead, he lifts it to deep left field. Back it goes, and it is gone. <laughs> the superstar start continues for Akil Badu. It Come is on. amazing what this young kid is doing right in front of our eyes. He did it He's again. player of all time. He did it again. The Astros are losing at home to the Tigers yet again. Casey Mize pitched last night, got his first win. Uh, Jake Odorizzi's making his Astros debut. It's 3-1 when I last checked. The, Detroit is up on the Astros. But a kill Badu, another home run. Now, remember, I told you I asked to talk to him. We're not going to get to talk to him. He's the best player on Detroit's roster. We are going to yeah. talk to Ro we confirmed we will talk to Robbie Grossman on Friday, which would be cool to catch up with the ex-A's and stat cast darling Robbie Grossman. But, I mean, we're going to talk to Jim Leland on Thursday. We're going to ask Jim Leland, is he the best outfielder since Barry Bonds? I mean, he's hitting 400. He's got four jacks already. This guy's incredible. I mean – there's no way he – I mean, come on. Seriously. Guy's never played above A ball, and he's hitting 400. He's a Rule 5 guy. I mean, his story is unbelievable. Like, how's this guy not a first-round draft pick? You're telling me the Twins couldn't use use him in their outfield anywhere? You're telling me he wasn't better than some of the guys that they've been throwing? No, Byron Buxton's having a great year finally. But you're telling yeah. me he, would, he wouldn't look good in your outfield with Buxton and – well, they let Eddie Rosario go. You're telling me he couldn't take Eddie Rosario's spot in left field? And by the way, listen to that highlight. It's another opposite field home run. Yeah, hit over the Crawford This guy's boxes. got incredible opposite field power. I mean, I don't know how long this is going to last, <laughs> but my God. If what? you're in Detroit, you're going, this kid's a godsend. Miguel Cabrera's on the I.L. Who cares? We got Badu. Badu, uh, he's the greatest player of all time. He he's does have. He's going to track down Barry Bonds for the all-time home run lead. Hack Wilson better watch out for the RBI race because here he comes. Uh, you know, it's funny. Badu actually has less RBIs. He has 10 than the A's leader, the resurgent Jed Lowry, who, again, if it wasn't for Trey Mancini and what he's been able to do for the Orioles, 
And what he's going to do, it doesn't matter what kind of year he has. I mean, he came back from cancer. He's going to win the award. But if this was any other year, Jed would be the front runner and it's not even close for comeback player of the year. Coming up next, the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey, right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Normally he joins us every single Wednesday, but we're off tomorrow. Randomly off again, which is great for this team in the bullpen. So we're going to have him today. Cody, hit it. Wednesday is known as hump day for everyone during the work week. But on A's Cast Live, Wednesday means one thing. It's time for 30 uninterrupted minutes with the two-time World Series champion, two-time All-Star, two-time Rawlings Gold Glove winner, A's analyst on NBC California, and the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. Hi, Ray. Hey, you're a little happy today, aren't you, buddy? Ray, I'm giddy as a, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is, after starting 0-6, I mean, they're back. Seven. And they, they got their mojo back. Yeah, they do. They do. Townie, and, and you know, when Jed Lowry hit the home run today, I said, Townie's really excited again. <laughs> but you know what? I, I think, um, you know, I think David Feldman said it best. Uh, Gallon's good. And and I thought because it was his first start, and I give Tori Lobolo a lot of credit because, you know, that that's called taking care of your guy. He pitches four very good innings, eight strikeouts, pitch count was up. He did one inning to qualify for the win, which he took him out before that. But I thought once he left, that the Hayes had a very good chance to come back. And I think that just shows you the type of club that the Oakland A's are, that they never quit. And, you know, Johnny, I got, I got Len Kuyper now saying, hey, Ray, you can't hang a fastball, can you? And, and you know what? It's amazing the number of breaking pitches. You talked about Lazardo, uh, you know, Olsen on Friday night, the hanger there, Jed Lowry, the hanger with the home run, uh, uh, Seth Brown with the hanger um, today, you know, he hit the fastball in his first major league home run, but the hanger today. So, you know, all those things. And for Lazardo, um, you know, we were talking on the air today about Mike Fires coming back, and somebody's going to be the odd person out. And we don't know who it's going to be, but I think Lazardo is still, you know, in the plans, but it really hurts the bullpen. And I agree with you having the off day tomorrow, following the off day the A's out on Sunday, you know, to, to really do the bullpen in kind of the way they did. Um, you, you, can't, you can't think about doing that every start or every fifth start. Uh, but, you know, you may have a, a time when another starter has a bad outing, then you got to go to the bullpen again. It really puts it takes its toll on the bullpen. But, uh, you know, it, it was just a game that the A's just kept coming back, kept coming back. They needed the big blow that they got from Jed Lowry, just like they needed the big blow on Friday they got from Matt Olson. And Seth Brown did it. But um, did, you, you figured out from David Feldman, I heard that uh, it was the 22nd that Tori Lavallo did not, quickly or quick enough ask for the challenge? Yeah, because I'm watching you guys, and yeah. you guys played the highlight of Jed Lowry hitting the home run, and all of a sudden we come out of the highlight, and Jeb, Jed's not in the box. And he's like, step yeah. back, and we're kind of like, what's going on? And then Delaire shows the replay, and you go, clearly Ramon got picked off. Why can't right. they challenge it? 
Well, it's the 20 seconds, and just like David Feldman said, and he's correct, 20 seconds to challenge it, two minutes to confer, and <laughs> realize that, you know, that, that, you know, that's the pace of the game speeding it up. But, you know, there was an incident that happened a couple of years ago, Chris Woodward's first year managing. So what would have been 19 uh, for the Texas Rangers? And I think it was 19. But anyway, there was a double play turned by the athletics to end an inning. But the problem was the runner, the second baseman didn't touch the bag. He came across, missed the bag, threw the first, double play, inning over. Well, in between innings, now realize this was before really everything came out about the, uh, uh, the clubhouses and all those things. Only the video coordinators can have real time of what's happening in a game, uh, the best of my knowledge, so they can make the calls on what to do. But anything in the clubhouse, which you're not allowed to go up anyway, but in that particular instance, they could. And somebody in the clubhouse saw it on the delay that the bag was a tag. So Chris Woodward waited, obviously, till somebody told him. He went out. The inning was over. Uh, the inning starts the next time. And I think it was Joe West or somebody. There's this, um, there's this conference. And all of a sudden, Woodward goes back. And same situation. You can't take that much time. Because if that's the case, you can have somebody walk delay. And that's why it's incumbent on the video coordinator, which is a tough job, to make a decision based on what they see with all the monitors in the clubhouse in their separate area in real time. And all those replays go to New York. So when, when Bob Melvin puts his hands up to his head said challenge, then that means that Adam Roden has seen something that he believes can overturn or confirm whatever it might be. The, the play on the field, usually it's overturning it because you're not going to challenge a safe call. But, you know, there are time limitations. And, and evidently today, that time limitation exceeded the 20 seconds. And that's why Larry Vanover said, nope, can't do it. Plus, like you said, the game's long enough anyway. We're not going to challenge it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, 340 today. Wow. Um, 12, 12 games, and you're right, Tony. 12 yeah. games, one game under three hours. It was two hours and 45 minutes, and we're going, what happened? This is over. It's, it's, I couldn't believe it at two hours and 45 minutes. But, uh, no, they, they're just taking forever. And it's, um, you know, have you ever seen a pitcher take off his cap, look into his cap, put his cap back on, and, and go through numbers, like one or two or three or whatever? Uh, it, it's got to be with a run to second base, whatever the signs are. And, and again, remember that. The mound visits are limited. And so instead of a catcher being able to go out to a pitcher and say, runner second base, we're going to use such and such a sign, then it has to be done. Because when I see a pitcher do that, and then I see a catcher do the same thing, I'm saying, wait a minute, are they on the same page? Because they both put out laminated sheets, and then they do something. So, you know, all these things that they're doing takes time, and the pace of the game definitely slows down. So, you know, there are a lot more issues than trips to the mound and things like that. And I, I agree with David, too, about, and I know you being a talk show host, you know, if the games were played in two hours and two hours, 30 minutes, you wouldn't mind having extra inning games because there aren't that many anyway. But now being able to have the runner at second base to start the extra innings and, uh, you know, I, I kind of agree with David because they want to play 162. So things should be back to normal instead of, having that runner at second base. And listen, if, if a manager, they have the three batter rule, if a manager is going to use all of his pitchers, because a lot of them are just one inning pitchers, 
But what happened today? I mean, that was beautiful. With uh, who was it? Went three innings for the A's. I, I, I lost my train of thought. Yeah, right, right. Garrett three innings. I mean, that was a tremendous job. So you know, it, it's it's just pace of game. I, I just it, it's almost like these games are postseason, which you expect postseason games to be longer just because of the the uh, emphasis on every pitch, every inning, uh, knowing that if you lose, you're going to go home. But, you know, this is game 12 of 162 games. You know, it, it's just too long to play the game of baseball. Ray, if we didn't have this extra inning rule, and let's just say the D-backs <laughs> came back and tied it up today, you could be looking at, if, if you're going like 16 innings, you're looking at over five hours. I heard you. I agree. I agree. And and, and, and you and Cody have been figuring out, Okay, we can't do our A's cast tonight. <laughs> no, dude, it'd be like, Ray, you're going to come on tonight at 9 o'clock. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's, it's you know, but it, it's, the, um, it's the management of your staff. And listen, when your starter leaves in the third inning, come on. I mean, you know it's going to be a bullpen game. And I didn't know what the pitch count was going to be for Gallon, but once he came out, I, I said it's going to be a bullpen game anyway because I figured he was not going to go deep in the game because just coming off the I.L., but uh, it was a bullpen game, and, and fortunately for the A's, they were the ones that came out on top. So, Ray, how many years have you been in professional baseball? A lot. <laughs> um, 50, at least 50, 51. Okay, so we've seen pitchers disappear and then come back. But what Jed Lowry's <laughs> doing, have you ever seen a position player let alone a middle infielder, basically be out for two years, not play at no. all. He had seven at-bats, and then come out and be one of the most productive players in the league. I've never seen it, Tony. Uh, you know, one year maybe. Um, I, I know I missed a full year with uh, uh, a, a knee problem, and I came back, and I hit a home run my first at-bat, and it was all downhill. I was done because – you know, you can't miss that much time. But see, Jed Lowry is such a disciplined hitter and he's such a good hitter. When I see him playing right now and you see him, fans see him, they're looking at Jed Lowry. And if you forget about that he's two years older than when he left here, he's the same Jed Lowry. He is exactly the same. And for him to play the, today, I mean, and granted, I, I made the mistake last night because I just assumed the DH because that's where it should be. And that's how I know another story for you and pitchers hitting. But, but you know, today when Jed Lowry said he wanted to play and he's got a good rapport with the skipper, that that was special because he knew Ole was going to be out. Uh, Mitch Moreland couldn't play that much because of a, of a tweak on a leg or something. Seth Brown plays first. So, you know, here's Jed being the professional and, and really the great teammate that he is saying, evidently, he said, Bob, I can play. And he plays, and what does he do? It's a three-run home run in opposite field to tie the game. So I, I give Jed a lot of credit because he has come back. He's playing great. It's only getting 12 games, but the way he's played, I agree with you, Tony. I've never seen anybody do that. Um, pitchers, Tommy John surgery, that's different. But for a position player to miss that, that much time and to still have the timing coming back and have the, uh, the eye that he has, discerning eye to be able to take pitches and draw walks and, and work counts to get the count in his favor. You know, you just don't see that every day with the position player. So I agree with you. It's an ex He's an exceptional person, exceptional player. I agree with you, too, that whenever the A signed him to the minor league contract, 
you knew that if he was healthy, he was going to play second base. And here he is, 12 games in, <laughs> off the charts. Unbelievable. Ken Rosenthal did a piece today on replay. And this is like the greatest idea. Ray, picture this. You send the video, replay, the guys back in New York are going to see the video. But the idea is don't tell them what the call on the field was. Yeah, I agree. So, so wouldn't that be great? Like, they don't know if it was safer out. So they're going to see it for the first time. And they're going to they're gonna make their opinion on what they see versus they know it's safe or they know it's out, what's been called. Do they want to overturn it or not? That would, I think that would work wonders. What do you think? I think it's a tremendous idea. And I'll say this, that whenever the replay challenges came in to play in Major League Baseball, I can't remember where we were. I was doing radio. And we're not supposed to hear it. All of a sudden, we have our headsets on. We're hearing the conversation between the guys on the field in New York. And I'm going, listen to this. And that's exactly <laughs> what happened. What was the call on the field? What difference does it make? You're looking at the replay. Make the call yourself. So that's a brilliant idea because I, listen, unless it's postseason, and I can't remember, I don't, postseason, they put on the lineup sheet the six umpires on location and the replay umpire in New York or challenge umpire in New York. So you know who it is, but they rotate. And who's to say that guy in New York is saying, I'm doing the challenges, and let's say the crew chief on the field. And, you know, I'm making a call. You're going to overturn me? Because I'm going to be upset if you're, going to, if you're going to say something different than what I call. So that's a good, good, uh, good move. And, and, and I know uh, uh, Jeff Blum, friend of the program, is you and Cody. Hey, Cody, how you doing, by the way? Everything good? I'm good, Ray. I, I just saw a video on uh, Twitter. Uh, from Jeopardy uh, with Aaron Rodgers hosting, they asked the question, uh, Reggie, Catfish, and this team won three straight World Series titles, and the guy literally said, the Giants? <laughs> no, they were 10, 12, and 14, to the point that the Giants personnel said, well, it's an even year, the Giants are going to win. I said, you think the other 29 teams are going to just say, okay, it's an even year, the Giants? Anyway, but, uh, but Jeff Blum, I thought, made a good – statement as well as far as the replay have a former player in the booth and you know in in the booth to to look at specifically the plays so instead of going to new york it goes straight to to the booth at the stadium wherever it might be and that player having played the game can make the call and and maybe well he sees what happened but you know then he sees it on video and the replay and he can make the call that way so but, you know, David Feldman said something today that I thought was interesting along the same line, and that is that when a player, let's say a, an error is called on the field, and the player feels that that play should have been a base hit point, usually it's obviously a hitter. So it goes as a challenge or at least as an appeal to New York. Instead of one person making the call, David said they have a panel of five people, three former players, and two front office people, they look at the play, then they kind of vote, and that's the result. So if you have a player who's looking at the play where a hitter is saying, okay, the first baseman bobbled the ball, I should be given a hit, 
And instead of him beginning at an error and me getting an error and, a, and an over on that at bat, it should be a base hit. So you have a player saying, are you kidding me? You know, what, what are you talking about? That shouldn't have been a hit. Should have been an error all the way. So I, I think there's some changes that are being made, but something needs to be done with the replays. I, I agree with you, Tony, because, you know, what happened in Atlanta, what, Sunday night in that oh, game? That was uh, terrible. You know, the, the absurd, absurdity of that. And, you know, now we look at, at, at a challenge and we see all the replays, the Lair Lures, and um, it was Mike Bird doing the directing today. Tommy adds the works, and, you know, they show a lot of replays. And those are the replays that New York gets from both the, the home and the visiting team to get the replays, plus whatever, uh, you know, the guys may be downstairs like Adam Roden might have. So they're looking at a, at a number of replays. And, by the way, they, they have as much time, it seems, that they want. Uh, whereas you have to make the call or at least challenge in 20 seconds and Adam Roden has said to me, he said, even 30 seconds seems like it's about five because you're, you're looking at all these monitors and the slow, slow motion, all that. And then you have to make a call. And since there are a limited number of challenges that if you're, you're wrong, you lose, obviously, if you, if you win the challenge, then you don't lose anything, but you know, that is very difficult, but you know what, unless there's something that is so overwhelming and, and Laureano today was clearly out, but the, you know, they messed up on the timing there. But there are cases where if it's a close play and it's a challenge and there's not overwhelming evidence, forget it. They're not going to overturn it. That's just something that I don't think is being done in baseball these days that, um, again, overwhelming evidence, forget it. They're not going to overturn it. You know, I think, like, that would be a sweet job for an ex-player. So take, like, Ray Fossey. Ray Fossey spent his entire career in the American League so let's put you in the National League because you have no connection except for the St. Louis Cardinals, so I can't have you work in Cardinal games. But you can work <laughs> any other game. You have no connection to the Padres versus, the you know, whoever, the Dodgers. And so, yeah, you could actually sit there at Dodger Stadium and you could decide, no, that's not safe, out. That, that, that would be a killer job for an ex-player. And you know what? I agree with you in that respect, but I don't agree with you because a player, let's say, the entire career in the American League should go to the National League. Because if you're an ex-player, you're an ex-player, and you're going to be—I I don't think you're going to have a bias again, you know, to say a player that you know. You're going to say, oh, "I'm going to give him a hit." No, because you know we always say that say in, in Coliseum the official score, and I know it's not true, but there's always that that thought. Well, he's a homer, you know, that's not going to be an error. It's going to be a hit or vice versa, you know, depending on whatever the situation might be. Official scores, and I, and I think if it's a former player doing it the same way, their job's on the line, and, and they can't go overboard because they're going to be scrutinized as far as themselves in the calls that they make. So, uh, you know, I, I think it would be good because, you know, now I remember talking – can't remember who it was about official scores because I thought former players could be a good official scores because they know the game. David Feldman is the best. He knows the game. So I always say that, that to me, he's one of the top, if not the top official scores that we see. But uh, somebody from Major League Baseball office told me that there was only one player that was willing to do it and to be an official score and go to the game and, and, and be the official score and watch it. So, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, the money is so good today with the players that when they retire, they really have to have a desire to stay in the game, be a part of the game. And, but, but I think there's enough players that given the opportunity, I think Jeff Blum's idea of having a former player 
there to make the call. But I also agree with what Ken Rosenthal said to, um, you know, not tell New York what the call is. Just say, okay, this is the play. What do you think? You know, you, you should show up as a guest professor with David Feldman for this uh, class of teaching people how to score. Because because you track everything. You're the only human being on the planet that tra- tracks catchers' blocks. <laughs> you track every hit, balls, and strikes. It's amazing, your scorebook. Well, you know, uh, I don't know if you heard me today, because last night when Stephen Vogt was crossed up, yeah. and being a catcher, being a catcher, it was always a pass ball. And, you know, the rule changed um, because I always thought, of course, I played a long time ago, but the official score would go down and ask pitcher catcher who screwed up, you know, somebody messed up. And David said, we can't do that anymore. And I, whoa, I forgot, you know, but, but I kind of remembered it. So I clarified it today on the air, but you know, he said, unless they call up and say, so-and-so messed up, you know, should have been a wild pitch instead of a pass ball. Because in reality, if, and David said, and again, a good point, you look at the play and it looks like the catcher, Last night, Stephen Vogt had a fastball and just missed it. Well, if you're looking for a breaking ball and you get a 95-mile-hour fastball, I'm sorry, you know, because you're anticipating a ball breaking, and, you know, that's not good. Now, on the other hand, I was catching in Portland, AAA, a long time ago, and I called for a curveball and the pitcher threw a fastball, <laughs> and it hit me directly, direct. And, you know, like I said, that equipment is there. To, to help you in blocking balls and different things, but taking direct hits, it doesn't help. And something like that really, I mean, you, you, and now now that the catcher can't go out and discuss with the pitcher, you're hoping, now, now take this, for example, Tony, let's say you're in postseason and you have a, a tying or go-ahead run at third base. And because of the signs you make so complicated and you're not on the same page, pitcher-catcher, and there's a pass ball, you lose a game because, you couldn't go to the mound because of a mound visit, whether you're out or you don't want to use one, but in a critical situation, you better know and be on the same page as your pitcher and the catcher. Otherwise, you're going to see a catcher box some balls, and if a ball gets away, it's going to be costly for the team. Yeah, you're talking about, I'm looking at it in my scorebook right now, that was with uh, Elvis at the plate last night, right, in the eighth right, inning? Right, right. So you know what? As a pitcher – to take care of my catcher, I would make sure I call up. Because what do you care about a wild pitch, right? I mean, that's not. I mean, that's that's not the stat everybody's worried about. A good pitcher would call up and get that change to back his catcher. Well, especially if no run scores, because if the run scores, a pass ball, it's an unearned run. It affects the earned run average. If it's a wild pitch, it's an earned run. So that's that's where, you know, the inning is over, no run scores, and hey, it's it's my fault, you know. It should have been a wild pitch instead of pass ball. But, you know, who knows what goes through the the minds of of the players. But, you know, you're talking about the catcher's blocks, and you've heard me say this many times. And today, I mean, you look at Carson Kelly, the catcher for the Diamondbacks. Those breaking pitches in the dirt, I mean, you have to block those because that's 90 feet. And you're taking a double play maybe away or you're putting a runner in scoring position. And for the life of me, with so many statistics, why they don't have catcher's blocks being such an important part of the game. And that's why I have in my book, because I know the importance of a catcher doing his job to block a ball in the dirt because it does either save a run. And, you know, catchers get beat up. Uh, Blocking balls, those balls, especially breaking balls, can, can hit the dirt and they usually spin backwards. 
So you go down the block, and if you're, you know, somebody just the other night caught a ball barehanded. It was a ball in the dirt, and it took off. I think maybe Maldonado, but he put his hand out, and he caught the ball barehanded. Now, if you catch it, you know, fluid in the palm, that's okay. I caught one one time on my ring finger of my right hand, and it fractured the joint uh, at the top of the finger because I caught it barehanded. I just happened to catch it the wrong way. So, you know, you, as a catcher, you, you take care of your pitcher. You do whatever you can to help your pitcher and especially your team when you're blocking balls in the dirt. Now, I got on Carson Kelly today. Uh, the, the one time that he butchered the one where he tried to go to the backhand and it was a wild pitch. But, you know, if he, if he does what he did in the latter part of the game, blocking the balls properly, that's a blocked ball. And, and the runner doesn't advance. So by that runner going 90 feet, it, you know, I don't remember what happens if Rose result of it, but those can be costly. Hey, by the way, before we end, are you going to talk about pitchers hitting? Well, yeah, but, but I want to, you're fair <laughs> about this because I mean, Maldonado, you praised him during, during the series with the Astros because he had all those blocks. Yes, he did. He did a tremendous job. And, and you know what? He could, he, you know, he's not hitting at all and he can't run, but you know, for him to catch two balls down the third base foul line when the, the shift was on, and Bregman, the third baseman, was playing behind the bag of second. He knew that with the shift, that if a foul ball was hit in that direction, he had to be the one to catch it. He did it twice in one game. That's unheard of. So, yeah, he could go over the world and do the job behind the plate because Dusty Baker knows, Brent Strom knows, that he can handle that pitching staff. And I think the most important thing, those guys have confidence in him that when he calls a pitch, they throw it, and if it's going to be in the dirt, they're confident that he's going to block the ball. Ray, what we've seen the last two days is an embarrassment. Nowhere else <laughs> in other sports do you see guys that just don't go up there and compete. Don't go up there and try. There's no other sport that has this. And that's why yeah. having pitchers hit is absolutely ridiculous. It needs to end. To, 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 I mean, to talk about the quality of the game, you're sending a hitter up there who goes, I'm not going to swing the bat. I'm not even going to try. No other sport has that. You know, you're exactly right. And, you know, fortunately, and, and let's hope that Chris Bassett didn't get hurt seriously enough last night. He ended up pitching four innings after he attempted to swing and then hold, held up. I mean, we have seen position players try to hold up the swing and hurt themselves. And here's Chris Bassett. And how about Lazard of the day and Deakman last night? They never put a bat in their hand in professional baseball. And they're going up and trying to hit. And I think one of the funniest conversations we saw was Lazardo talking to Bob Melvin. And it's almost like Kipe said to me, he says, he pointed like, that's the on-deck circle. You're supposed to be up there because you're, you're the next batter. But, you know, it, it's, it's horrible because I know for a fact that unless they've changed, and I don't think they have, that before this Arizona Diamondback series, that Bassett and Lazardo were able to get in the batting cage to work on their bunting bunting not swinging but bunting and that's it and you just hope and pray that the hitters go up there the pitchers go up there and they have to bunt and, and here you see Dickman last night just saying I haven't been up here but you know the one thing I've always thought Townie is that when a pitcher hits I think he appreciates how hard or let me rephrase that when he tries to hit but at least he appreciates the difficulty in hitting the baseball and I've always thought that sometimes that might help a pitcher when he pitches, knowing that, all right, I'm giving this hitter a lot of credit by throwing him a 2-0, 3-1, 3-2 breaking ball. 
thinking that maybe he's not going he's going to hit my fastball and, and crush it. And that's not necessarily the case. But I think today was a perfect example. When Jordan Weems came in the game, he had um, hit the eighth place hitter up, knowing the pitcher was going to be hitting. He threw him a 3-1 to 3-2 slider. He walked it and then struck out the pitcher. Pitcher had no chance. But there is a situation that that eighth place hitter is non-existent. He doesn't get a chance to do what hitters do in the American League. Now, starting Thursday night, you're going to see the designated hitter. You're going to see nine position players or, or nine hitters versus an eighth place hitter and a pitcher, which, you know, again, Gallon, the pitcher today, hurt himself in spring training taking batting practice. <laughs> he, he hurt himself. And the, the Diamondbacks were fortunate. They thought it's going to be Tommy John surgery. They did the x-ray, found out it was a hairline fracture, and he was able to pitch today. But, you know, sure, Madison Bumgarner and Zach Greinke, and, you know, for him, he's in the American League. Uh, Clayton Kershaw, uh, how many hitters? And, and I know you and Cody talk about this and, and the percentage of guys that can actually hit. And when they do hit, it's every fifth day. So, you know, they're not, they're not getting consistent at bats. But, you know, I think it's going to change next year. I'm surprised this year that they did not stay with it like they did last year. But I think in the future, we're going to see the universal designated hitter. And, and just like you had said earlier, you've got guys who could be having a job in Major League Baseball because some guys can't play defense, but they can still hit. And they're losing jobs. And if I'm the association, and I'm a player in the association, and I call them and say, hey, by you not having the designated hitter in the National League, I'm losing a job. And I, I could see where that could be a big factor. But I think I think the players are using it as a negotiating tool, ploy, whatever it might be this coming December. But uh, if that's going to be the case, I, I think it's going to be the universal DH. And I think it's going to make baseball better because you, the last thing you want to do is have a pitcher come out in a tie game when he's pitching well, but he comes out in a tie game because his at bat is coming up and you know, he can't hit. So what are you saying? You're going to yeah. take him out, put, put another pitcher in there, who's not as good as what this pitcher is doing. Well, Ray, it was like funny in the post game today, and they were like, oh, man, Jesus Lazardo hasn't hit in five years. I went and did the math. <laughs> Jake Diekman hasn't been in high school for 16 years. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. No. And, and, you know, that's why I asked Ty today, because, you know, the National League, the, the pitchers take batting practice, but how many relievers do it? The starters no, do, because no. – yeah, yeah, that's what I thought because, you know, starters do because, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be in the game and they're going to come up in critical times. But usually it's coming up to bust. Why does, a, why does a pitcher come up to hit with a runner at second base and one out and he bumps? What does that tell you? It tells you he can't hit. If he could hit, he would be swinging away trying to drive the run in. But they want to get him to third and get the pitcher back in the dugout. I thought um, – I think it was Clark today. There was a slider in the dirt, and he swung and missed, and uh, Garcia blocked the ball, and, and he started to run to first. and said, nope, not going to run down there. I'm going to go back to dugout. So, you know, why sprint? And you, just like um, uh, Gallon bunted for the base hit, he sprinted to first base. You see how long it took for him to come out? Yeah. He wasn't going to hurry back out on the mound, you know? Uh, so, so, yeah, everything changes because of that. But, uh, you know, I, I just think um, – I just think you just need to have the game, speed it up a little bit. And I think by having the nine players, then there's not as much pinch hitting, like you said, also about the ninth place hitter pinch hitting for the pitcher, pinch hitting for this guy, whatever. And 
you know, the double switches, which we actually didn't see in, in the two-game series. But, you know, Melvin's very familiar with that. Melvin's a good manager. He handled this series extremely well, and I think the, the players really enjoy playing for him, and that's why uh, starting the way they did, forget about it. It's the beginning of the season, and it's been in the middle of the season. Nobody would have thought about it. But uh, they're on the right track. Good off day tomorrow and start against the Tigers on Thursday. But let's not take any team lightly because every team has a chance, just like the Tigers beat the Astros last night. And I'm sure the Tigers came in, did a lot of hoopla for A.J. Hinch and all that stuff. But the Tigers beat them 6-2. to two. And those fans all of a sudden forget about cheering for A.J. Hinch. We need our club to win. And they didn't do it last night. And, you know, if, it's, if a team is rebuilding and they're not as good as the team they're playing, the feather in their cap is beating that team because it makes them feel good that they beat the team that was supposed to annihilate them. And, and I think that's why baseball is so good because every day something can happen and you just cannot take anybody, any, any team or anybody for granted in this game. Uh, what's Ray Fossey doing on the day off? Uh, as little as possible, getting ready for the Tigers. <laughs> you know, that was a quick turnaround from last night, a long game to today, an early game. And so, you know, it, it just, uh, I, I'm just going to take it easy, Tony. Just take it easy. Look forward to talking to you on Thursday. And uh, I hope you have a good day playing golf tomorrow. And uh, I know Cody's going to be hardworking, which he always does, getting ready for the next show. But uh, I hope you play well on the golf course. And after you're finished, go to the chicken pie shop on Walnut Creek and have a nice dining pleasure. We got to get you in the restaurant, Ray. We'll do that. We'll do that. I look forward to it. Because what you, what you had sent out last year, man, was outstanding. <laughs> that was tremendous. Yeah, and, gonna, uh, we got to get, so, get you and your wife out. Dinner yeah, on no, me. I, I, okay, I'll hold you to that. Did you hear that, Cody? I got the I got the tape mark, Foss. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Now you guys are doing a great job, doing a great job, and just just keep it up. And uh, I'm, I'm glad you made the adjustment to do it today, so you could have tomorrow off, like the players are, and get back to work on Thursday and be ready to go. All right, Ray. We'll see you at the ballpark on uh, Thursday. Have a great day off. Look forward to it. You guys do it as well. Hit them straight, Tony. 920 in the morning, be off, baby. You got to be a scratch golfer as much as you play. So uh, I I hope whoever you're playing, you're giving strokes to them. Well, the problem is lack of talent, Ray. That's the problem. (laughs) Have a great day, guys. See ya. The great Ray Fossey, the face of the franchise. All right, is that going to do it? I mean, I've, I've been talking all day. Yeah, I'll give you two things on the way out. You know, pitchers are hitting right now this season, entering today. They hit 128 in 2019. What are major league pitchers hitting in 2021 entering today? 0.098. You're actually not bad. It's close. Uh, It's 110 on the season. And they're striking out 49% of the time. (laughs) Stop. We need the universal DH next year. Stop. Stop it. All right. Enjoy. What are we doing next? Uh, We're replaying the game. And quick update. Tigers up 7-1 over the Astros. Akil Badu is going to lead off the top of the sixth inning. He's 2-for-2 already. He has an OPS over 1,500 on the season already. (laughs) Uh, It's it's an amazing story. All right. Enjoy the victory as the Athletics sweep the two-game set down in the Valley of the Sun. A's win 7-5.
We're going to play it next, and we'll see you all on Thursday right here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live. Enjoy, everybody. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.